only 20% of people who subscribe to Apple TV Plus knew that Ted Lasso was a show on Apple TV Plus. They knew what Ted Lasso was, but they didn't match it to Apple TV Plus. That is a recall problem, and it's a huge problem for these services because if you can't determine which show is on which service, you don't know which service is good. Welcome to the Powers That Be Daily, Puck's podcast focused on the intersection of Wall Street, Washington, Silicon Valley, and Hollywood, and the players who run it all. I'm Peter Hamby. It's Friday, August 25th. Today, I'm joined by Matt Bellany to talk about Puck's newest survey about the streamers. Matt commissioned a study of thousands of people who watch the big streaming platforms, from Netflix to Max to Hulu and all the rest, and came away with some juicy intel on what consumers really think about these media companies. And later, Teddy Schleifer and Ben discuss the doomed political tech startup linking Mark Zuckerberg and Sam Bankman-Fried. We'll discuss all that and much more on today's episode of The Powers That Be. Are you tired of sleeping hotter than hell? I sure am. I sleep hot. There's something crucial about sleep that eludes us when we're too warm, too uncomfortable, and too caught in the web of our own thoughts to drift off. And while curiosity fuels our days, science tells us that cool sleep recharges our nights. That's where Chili Pad by Sleep Me comes in. Meet the bed cooling system that elevates the quality of human life through cool sleep. The Chili Pad bed cooling system is your new bedtime solution. I love it. It lets you customize your sleeping environment to your optimal temperature, ensuring you fall asleep, stay asleep, and wake up refreshed. Chili Pad works with your existing mattress. It's a water-based mattress topper that continuously controls your bed temperature from 55 to 115 degrees, allowing your body to rest and recover. This isn't just about escaping the heat, it's also about optimizing your sleep for better health, more energy, and improved physical and cognitive performance, which I obviously need hosting a podcast. Chili pads are designed for one or two sleepers, so if your sleep partner likes to sleep at a different temperature, or you only need it for one side of the bed, that's okay too, and we know that's crucial. Plus, you can schedule automated temperature changes to trigger deep sleep. But when I'm at home, Chili Pad solves those problems. So trust me on this one. Visit sleep.me slash powers to get your chili pad and save up to $315 with code powers. This offer is available exclusively for powers that be listeners and only for a limited time. Order it today with free shipping and try it out for 30 days. You can return it for free if you don't like it with their sleep trial. Visit www.sleep.com dot me slash powers because you're not just investing in better sleep you're creating a better life happy friday everybody i have a friday treat for you matt bellany is here host of the town a puck and ringer podcast uh one of the founding partners of puck great angelino great friend and he's here to talk about the hierarchy of the streaming services matt Tell our listeners what this survey uh, you had conducted is. This is the second time you've done it. Sure. So we did the study in January for the first time. We called it the Puck Official Streaming Service Hierarchy Study, where we had a very simple question we wanted answered. What do people think of their streaming service? How do they feel about it? Not are they subscribed? Not are they churning in and out? 
how do they actually feel about the brand of their streaming service? So we enlisted this company, The Quorum, to do some research for us. They surveyed 2,500 people. We filtered out the ones that aren't subscribers at all to anything and don't even know what they're talking about. And we found that people had interestingly mixed feelings towards different services. For instance, there's this thing called the NPS or Net Promoter Score, which is a management company survey that is done about different brands. And you basically ask people to rank something on a one to 10 scale of how likely you are to recommend it to someone else. Meaning, Mm -hmm. would you evangelize about this brand? And above 50 is considered a very strong net promoter score. Brands like Starbucks and Costco and you know things like that get a high net promoter score. And what we found is that not a single streaming service got to 50 on the NPS. Netflix got the closest. They got to 49, and that was the top in the industry. And then it was HBO Max at the time at 41%, Disney Plus at 37%. Then it goes down from there. Hulu, Amazon Prime, Paramount Plus, Peacock, and Apple TV was the lowest at 17%. Mm. Only 17% of people would recommend Apple TV Plus at the time. (laughs) So that's not a great sign of how people feel about streaming services. Then we did the same survey six months later. And what we found is that the opinions of these services had gotten markedly worse, which is very interesting, right? Netflix declined from 49% to 36%. HBO, which is now just called Max, declined only 3%. And Disney Plus was down about 5%. Hulu was down about 11%. And one after another these services declined in their NPS score. So then the question is, why did this happen? Why do you think it happened? The prices went up. The, the prices, prices went, up, right? went up. The prices went up. That is what the average person does notice when the price goes up. They've also started cracking down on password sharing. They've also been, uh, you know, not Netflix per se, but some of these other services have been pulling shows off the service. So Mm -hmm. if you were a big Insecure fan and you went to watch it on HBO Max and all of a sudden it wasn't there, that would annoy you. And the lead researcher for us said basically 45% of the people have said that they noticed the removal of some programs and that they don't like it. So that's another factor. We don't know the actual reason, but I think it's a confluence of all of these reasons could be the news environment. Yes. There's a lot of negativity about these services and you know how they're not making money and they're all challenged except Netflix. But I think it comes down to mostly when you raise prices, when you cut off junior and his girlfriend from sharing your password, (laughs) when, you know, perhaps the shows have disappointed, they don't have as much, then that's where you're going to see these brands take hits. Yeah. I guess people didn't like Too Hot to Handle season four. Um, so like Netflix dropped in the NPS score 13 points, but mm-hmm. Amazon Prime also had a similar drop. From what I see, Paramount Plus had a similar drop. Like what are the reasons there? I mean, it could be the macro stuff that we're talking about, or it could be specific to the service. I mean, there have been, because of the strike, there hasn't been the same volume of shows the last couple months in particular. The streaming services are not like hurting for content yet, but Mm. they are starting to space stuff out 
where things that were would have likely premiered in August are now being pushed because they need to kind of ration it out. And people do notice when there's not as much stuff. I mean, keep in mind, this is a survey of subscribers to these services. Those are the numbers we're going right. through. And these are people who are actually being presented with the content. And for whatever reason, they're not as satisfied as they once were. Um, the big issue that we noticed in this survey, and it's something that I guess is intuitive, but it was a surprise to me, is how few people can identify which shows are on which service. The shock number out of the January survey was that only 20% of people who subscribe to Apple TV Plus knew that Ted Lasso was a show <laughs> on Apple TV Plus. They knew what Ted Lasso was, but they didn't match it to Apple TV Plus. That is a recall problem, and it's a huge problem for these services because if you can't determine which show is on which service, you don't know which service is good. So wait, would that be a person who subscribes to Apple TV Plus, watched Ted Lasso, liked it a lot, and can't remember it was on Apple TV Plus? Or would that be a person who subscribes to Apple TV Plus but just hasn't watched Ted Lasso? They may not have watched it, but given the Nielsen numbers we've seen for Ted Lasso, a lot of people with Apple TV Plus are watching Ted Lasso. It's just that they don't know what service it's actually on. They may have it. They may be flipping around. They may do a search online or do a search in their their UI and go to Ted Lasso. They just don't remember where they watched it. Now, in the most recent survey, the number went up to 33%. So one in three mm. people who subscribes to Apple TV Plus does know that Ted Lasso mm. is on that service. And that's probably because between January and this month, season three dropped. So a lot of people watched it. And we saw via the Nielsen rankings that... Apple TV's only show that ranks on Nielsen is Ted Lasso. They only have about 15 million subscribers in the right. U.S. So right. the fact that they have a very small pool of subscribers and Ted Lasso makes it onto the stream and minutes list means that a heck of a lot of people who subscribe to Apple TV Plus are watching Ted Lasso. That's wild. And so the other one other thing you guys measured is familiarity. And I assume this is among users of all these platforms. 82% of people surveyed here uh, are familiar with Netflix. I was surprised Hulu was high this high too, 65% for Hulu. Then you go down the list. Toward the bottom, at the bottom, you have Apple TV+. Only 30% of people out there who subscribe to streaming services are familiar with Apple TV+. Discovery+, Plus, Paramount, Peacock, those guys are all at the bottom. And then HBO, HBO Max was only at 41%. Does that mean 41% of all people who consume streaming don't really have an opinion about what Max or HBO Max is? Is that because of the well, name they change? Don't, well, okay, so there's a lot of things going on here. The, the ones at the high end of the list that you mentioned, Netflix, Hulu, those are services that have been around 10, 15 years now. So when you're measuring familiarity, obviously yeah. the earlier products in the market are likely going to be more familiar. For many people, streaming is still synonymous with Netflix. I mean, that was right. the first to really popularize the model. So for a lot of people, when you hear streaming service, you think Netflix. So that's showing up in the numbers. Frankly, I thought it'd be a little higher than 82%. It's amazing that like one in five people is just not familiar with Netflix, I guess. Okay. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but then when you get down to the max number, yeah, it dropped. The familiarity number between HBO Max and Max dropped from 48% to 41%. And I think that's just because Max is a new product. It launched yeah, in May. Right. 
and they haven't been able to familiarize people with the new name. And, you know, only half of the people surveyed knew what HBO Max was. So that's you're, you're working with half the, the deck anyways. One other term you used here is uh, cool. Respondents were asked <laughs> which streamers they would describe as, quote, cool. Netflix was in first place with 54%. By the way, in politics, we use this term name ID. Like Donald Trump has 100% name ID. I feel like Netflix is the closest to that. Like everyone just knows it. <laughs> you yeah, like but, that, it but, don't then, have but opinion. familiarity That's, is the same and it was only 82%. So it'd be like if 18% of the public didn't know who Donald Trump was. (laughs) (laughs) It's crazy. Um, And if so, can I join that group? (laughs) (laughs) Please, at least for summer vacation. So Netflix was at top of the cool list, the cool kids. 54% described Netflix as cool. Max was second at 52%. Who was at the bottom of the cool list? Uh, Yeah, the least cool service at only 33%, womp womp, is Peacock. Peacock mm. is the least cool streaming service. Interestingly, Amazon, which ranks very high on the familiarity scale and you know has among the most subscribers because it comes attached to Prime, they mm. were at the in the middle of the coolness factor, 42%. So mm. what it what it suggests is that Amazon has a lot of subscribers and a lot of content, but it is content that skews uncool. Older, more library stuff, dramas that people don't watch. They don't have the cool shows that younger people are into. Um, Although I would argue The Boys is actually a cool show for young people. But other than that, I can't think of one Amazon show that young people would be into. You know, I feel like I see on TikTok a lot of buzz among the Zoomers for the summer I turn pretty. Maybe that's a show the kids would like. Yeah, uh, you know what? But, you know, that I is a good one. That I was gonna say, uh, that is a good one. That Amazon and Daisy and the Six, I think, had a, a little bit of a younger audience just because of Riley Keough. But yeah. Um, but yeah, so I don't want to shortchange Amazon. But you know, they also have these big procedural type shows like Bosch and Jack mm-hmm. Ryan and the Terminal mm-hmm. List that like mm-hmm. the C- the CBS crowd watches those. All right, Matt, thank you so much for joining us. Everyone, listen to Matt's podcast, The Town, on the Ringer Network, uh, production of Puck as well. Matt, thanks for joining us, man. Have a great weekend. You too. When we come back, Teddy Schleifer is here to talk about what Mark Zuckerberg and Sam Bankman-Fried have in common. Hey, Powers That Be listeners, I'm here to tell you that there's no reason to panic the next time you're searching for the perfect gift. Now you can use Gift Mode on Etsy. Gift Mode on Etsy takes the stress out of gifting, so you can find the perfect item for anyone and any occasion. It's easy. Just tap or click Gift Mode on your Etsy app or Etsy.com. Then answer a few short questions about who you're shopping for and what they like. And Gift Mode instantly gives you a curated list of gift ideas based on hundreds of personas. I use Etsy all the time and have for years. I bought my brother some artwork. I bought my wife some jewelry. I even bought a rug for our living room on Etsy. I love it. But there's a lot of pressure around gifting. I usually have a hard time thinking of gift ideas for friends and family members around the holidays or birthdays in my life. And sometimes I get super stressed trying to find the perfect thing. But now with gift mode on Etsy, I can search hundreds of gifting personas and find so many incredible items. 
And I actually just found the perfect gift for a buddy who's just as into Cincinnati sports as I am, a hot cup of Joe, Joe Burrow mug. That's right. I found that on Etsy. It's amazing. Now it's simple to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life. So whether you need a housewarming gift for the new homeowner or a birthday present for the pickleballer, Gift Mode has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try Gift Mode on Etsy now. Welcome back, everybody. I'm Ben Landy. On with Teddy Schleifer. Hey there. Hi. Teddy, I wanted to have you on to talk about your reporting on this Democratic voter tech startup. It's called DEC, which you've been following for a number of years, I guess, and, and which got caught up in the SBF scandal, the FTX bankruptcy. And it's really a very ironic saga. It, it demonstrates sort of how political startups, political nonprofits often get swept up in the foibles and scandals of their billionaire patrons. But just to kind of go back and start at the beginning, what did DEC actually do? Sure. So DEC is a startup that most people here have not heard of, but was started by a guy named Max Wood in kind of the resistance era of kind of Silicon Valley politics. I think it was started in 2015, but it really took off in 16 and 17. And it is essentially a cheap way to have predictive analytics about people who are likely to vote for you. Most campaigns that are down ballot, you know, cannot afford to pay for a retainer for a pollster. So it's essentially a way for democratic or progressive causes to use data and build models about likely voters. This started in in 15. And I guess the story that I wrote this week in Puck about DEC really starts in 2017 when it gets bought by Mark Zuckerberg. Yeah, well, now we're getting into the ironic element of this because Zuckerberg buys this thing from him around the time of the Cambridge Analytica scandal when voter tech, voter targeting, all this stuff suddenly becomes totally radioactive. Right. So Max Wood, the founder, could not have anticipated the Cambridge Analytica scandal when he sold DEC to Mark Zuckerberg and Priscilla Chan at the Chan Zuckerberg Initiative. And the plan was to relaunch DEC as sort of like a progressive data play in April 2018, of course, a month before that, the Cambridge Analytica scandal implodes. It is, you know, this media melee. I guess I would say it's kind of the inflection point in Zuckerberg's public reputation. He becomes mired in what will end up being years of controversy. And, you know, we can debate whether that was overblown in retrospect, but it certainly was not overblown at CZI, where Max Wood worked. And what ended up happening was Deck got basically tabled or, or quietly killed at CZI, which was a weird story because CZI is not Facebook, right? You know, the Cambridge Analytica scandal had nothing to do with CZI. But this story made its way to me several years later when I was at Recode, and I wrote a story about sort of the relationship between Facebook and CZI. It's a piece that I think holds up pretty well and sort of looked into the ways in which a scandal at a billionaire's company could affect operations at a billionaire's philanthropy. And this was like case in point, right? I mean, Max Wood should be able to do a voter data project at CZI that has nothing to do with Facebook or Cambridge Analytica. But I think the Zuckerberg universe, however you want to define it, was very nervous about the words voter data and being associated with Mark in the aftermath of that. So ultimately, in 2019, I believe, DEC spins out of CZI and Max has big plans to take on the world. And, you know, no one knows who Sam Bankman-Fried is at that time. But 
we soon find out. Right. So this is this is irony twist number two is Wood pulls this thing out of CZI or, or Zuck sort of lets it go, whatever. Yeah. And then along comes another buyer with another massive public scandal just a couple months ahead on the horizon. Right. So, you know, Wood is is sort of trying to make deck, you know, into a thing. And I think like if you talk to kind of this class of progressive billionaire investors like deck was like i would say maybe one of like the two or three startups that they thought were among the most promising there were talks about selling it to the dnc which would have been an interesting play uh in like 2021 so like and it had like i don't know this is totally anecdotal and subjective but it had like buzz you know like people talked about deck i haven't heard of like 95 percent of these you know random tech politicals tech startups but like i've heard of deck it's like well known and in 2022, Deck comes across this guy, Sam Bankman fried It's originally through Mind the Gap that Sam begins to hear about Deck. Mind the Gap is, as, as Puck readers know, is the Democratic donor advisory firm that was started by Sam Bankman frieds mom. So Sam begins to hear lots of good things about Deck. And in August 2022, it is bought by Sam. And, that, and this is coming at a time when he's of course, kind of the height of his powers. It was like an unusual deal. I know some like deck backers who didn't even know who bought it, which is weird. Um, I know people in Sam Beckman frieds universe who were confused why he bought it. Like it's not uncommon, of course, for there to be people who are wealthy who invest in political technology. But like Sam buys the entire company for I think 5 million bucks. I don't know. I haven't heard of many things like that before. Like, you know, Mike Bloomberg had Hawkfish, which he started himself. Like, I mean, but like the idea of buying a startup and like the entire cap table and i think even the ip of deck was was weird so that was august 2022 and then shit really hits the fan in the couple months after that right like you said sbf at the time he picks this thing up he's at the height of his powers he's really a white knight not just buying deck investing in giving huge amounts of money to democratic causes to nonprofits. he's also buying up other crypto companies as they're going bankrupt he's yeah. setting himself up to be the sort of king of this entire new industry as well as in washington and then of course within a, a few months of all of this happening ftx also goes bankrupt itself right and that's where kind of we pick up the story this week and our story at puck is deck ends up getting included in the ftx bankruptcy process I am not a bankruptcy lawyer. Like, Deck feels it was an accident. If you talk to FTX, they feel that this was a company that was basically purchased with stolen funds from FTX customers. So they see it as a legitimate filing. But Deck then ends up for much of the past year fighting like Sullivan and Cromwell and John Ray, or, or maybe not fighting them, but just trying to get free of them. And Max Wood runs around Silicon Valley including, we, we can talk about this guy Rory Gates in a few minutes, but essentially he's trying to find an escape hatch, find other investors in Silicon Valley who can back him. And, you know, in our story, we, we talk about several deals that fell through, but it's sort of this race against the clock where, you know, they're running out of money. FTX is trying to like, maybe get rid of this, maybe not. Like, you know, FTX is, is hunting for, I think, the big cash cows and like getting three or four million bucks for this random political startup is not probably a top priority for the SNC lawyers who are paid absurd amounts of money to find like the real dough. So I think that was a factor too. But FTX gave me a statement that sort of was, I, I'll be honest, I was surprised they gave me the statement to break me the, to break the fourth wall here. I mean, their statement was like, 
basically saying that they tried to find a buyer for DEC, but were very concerned about transparency of the buying consortium. And they they said that sort of suggested that like Max Wood at DEC was hiding things about who his buyers were. DEC backers would dispute that. But they said they couldn't find a deal that would close given kind of that uncertainty. So the coda to the story and, and the reason we wrote it this week is last week DEC announced it was closing. And they're basically trying to they will, they'll probably go at a bankruptcy auction at some point. But um, essentially, it's a wild story about like, you know, to you live by billionaire, you die by billionaire. You know, you get bought by Zuckerberg, you kind of get cut off at the knees, you get bought by Sam Bank and Freed, this massive crypto scandal uh, unravels. And, you know, none of these things, none of Deck's fate really like had to do with Deck. <laughs> like it had to do with like Cambridge Analytica and Alameda Research. And um, I guess that's just, that's just kind of the way the world goes. Yeah, it's, it's enough to make you feel bad for this guy, uh, Max Wood. I, I, I don't know him, obviously, but selling your company to Zuckerberg right before Cambridge Analytica and then to SBF right before FTX goes bankrupt and SBF goes to jail. Not the best of luck for a founder. Teddy, one last thing before I let you go. You mentioned in your reporting that one of the potential buyers who was sniffing around deck and ended up not buying it was Rory Gates, who I hadn't heard of. He's the 25-year-old scion of the Gates fortune. I was aware that Bill Gates had two daughters because they're sort of all over Instagram. They've got a pretty public profile. Yep. Rory, I hadn't heard of. What, what was his involvement here? Yeah, I, uh, you know, pat on the back for me. I'm pretty sure this is the first substantive thing ever written about Rory Gates by a reporter. But, you know, he's, he's an adult. I mean, he's 24 now. Um, and, and that's, you know, he just graduated from UChicago last year. And uh, he's a player. I mean, um, he is playing in the world of democratic political technology. I guess that's some scoop for people that know that. I mean, it's the sort of story that like, I frankly, I don't think I could have named Rory Gates before. Like, you know, these kids kind of end up being very private figures. Like I'm reminded of Matt Bellany's report for us a couple months ago about one of the Bezos kids who like, we didn't even name their first name because like, even though these are like the kids of the wealthiest people in the world, they kind of cling to privacy. But right, unlike Jennifer and Phoebe Gates, who are all over Instagram, and they're, you know, I forget, I think Jennifer just had a kid and got married, and it's covered by all the tabloids. Rory Gates, over the last year, has been meeting with like lots of Democratic tech people and wants to learn all about this. And like, it's not just because he's like, you know, very curious. I mean, the subtext is obvious, which is that he wants to be like a patron of this world. And it's the sort of, you know, as a reporter sort of story where you've never heard of it until you start asking about it. And then everyone's heard of it, right? Like, like I felt like 80% of the people I had reached out to for this were like, oh yeah, Rory Gates hit me up six months ago. <laughs> um, so he explored buying deck. He ex has explored investing in deck. Like who knows like what, how this will unfold. Like I, I would, I bet he does something because he is making enough inquiries at this point that um, made its way to me, but also word has gotten out about the new rich kid on the block. And like, if we learned anything from SBF, you know, <laughs> the the vultures will come for, for the money as soon as it uh, appears on the table or in an article like this. Well, Teddy, congratulations on uh, introducing Rory Gates to the world. That's why this podcast is called The Powers That Be. Um, congratulations to all the Democratic operatives and founders out there who are going to have to deal with this precocious 25-year-old with uh, with billions of dollars of daddy's money. But that's that's how the world works. Sure. <laughs> Write that name down. Teddy, thanks as always for stopping by. Really interesting story. People should check it out if they haven't. We'll see you next time. You bet. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of The Powers That Be. As a reminder, The Powers That Be is the official podcast of Puck, 
We'd like to thank Ben Landy, Liz Goff, and Alex Bigler for their editorial and production guidance. If you like what you hear, please share with a friend. It really helps us keep delivering the inside scoop that only Puck can offer. Follow us on Twitter at Puck News. I'm Ben Landy. See you on Monday. This has been a presentation of Odyssey. Please listen, rate, review, and follow all episodes wherever you get your podcasts. The Powers That Be Daily is executive produced by John Kelly, co-founder of Puck, Bob Tabador, and Ben Landy, executive editor at Puck.